0: If you would take out the word of God and turn to the book of Mark, we're going to be in Mark sixteen, one through eight, as we open up God's word together. And as you stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word, I'm going to read just verse six. So stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. And this is where we find that the resurrection is true. Apart from the Word of God, the truth of a man rising from the dead is just a fairy tale. Why would you believe that? How do you know it's true? But the Word of God tells us it's true. This is where we find the story. This is where we find the reality. This is where we stake our hope that the Word of God tells us, without a doubt, the resurrection is true. Verse 6. And He said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. Who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Oh God, I pray today that we would see the place where they laid him. And know today that it is empty. There were never. Flesh and bones rotting. In the tomb. You raised him up three days later. He is ruling and he is reigning at your right hand. Which is a declaration to us today that our sins can be forgiven. Death has been defeated. There is hope in a world that is cursed with sin and death because he is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. God, I pray that that truth would grip us today. That truth would change our lives. We would leave here different. This would not be just another Easter Sunday where we do the thing. And we go through the motions. But this would be an Easter that changes everything. By the power of your spirit according to your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. may be seated. I never expected pictures of... Easter Sunday at Ashland here. I never expected those things to to make me nauseous or to cause me to to cringe or or just to feel awkward inside. But that's exactly what has happened in the last few weeks as I have seen through Facebook memories and uh, how social media works. Pictures from this time last year are coming up. Uh, and, and I see those things. And just to be honest with you, as I see the kind of things we were doing here last year, at times I, I kind of get sick at my stomach thinking about those things, uh, thinking about virtual only services and uh BFGs that, that only met in Zoom and preaching from a, a trailer over here to cars that are honking. And and it was also, it's like a dream. It, it was kind of like a nightmare, to be honest with you. And I can't believe those things happened. And I, I feel uneasy even when I think about them. About a month ago, we were thinking about how we were going to promote Easter and what our graphics were going to look like and what our invites were going to look like. And Clay said, can't we just use what we used last year? And I said, absolutely not. I never want to see those colors again. I never want to see those graphics again. We're acting as if that never happened. But, but I do want to be clear. God did glorious things in the life of our church over the last year. And, and I, I would dare say it's been one of the best years of ministry in my own life, just seeing spiritual growth and in the life of so many people in our church and seeing God do so many things in a time of great difficulty. But I don't want to go back through the trauma it took to do all, all those great things. As we were saying this time last year, the gospel cannot be quarantined. And that's true, but I hope I never have to say that again after I just said it now. It's true. But even as I mentioned those things, some of you felt uncomfortable, right? Like you, you felt, oh, don't do that. Like, don't go back there. This is Easter. This is a new beginning. Last year or last week, we talked about uh, the, the veil in the temple being torn when Jesus died. This week, you came in and you saw the curtain and the warehouse came down. And you said, oh, it's a new day at Ashland. Why are you talking about those horrible days of last year when we had to make do in those ways? And you're thinking, just get on with it. Just, just get on with it. Let's don't talk about those things. Literally, this week, people came in and saw that curtain and just started weeping. They were like, oh my goodness, the curtain is down. But those sort of cringy, awkward, just uncomfortable feelings would have been exactly what the women in our passage felt. When they had to think about what happened in their life just two days earlier on the day that we call Good Friday, it was a bad Friday for them because they saw their friend, their really close friend, Jesus, being drugged through the streets of the city, spit upon. They heard the chants of crowds and riots yelling, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They saw him humili- being humiliated like an abused dog in the street, stripped down, and beaten. A crown of thorns on his head. They followed him up a hill and they saw him suffocate for six hours. They saw a spear shoved into his side and they saw him breathe his last breath. And that was a day, and those were images that they never wanted to think about again. And I'm sure as they lay in bed on Saturday night preparing for what they were going to do the next day, as they thought about those things, they wanted to vomit. And they got sick at their stomach. But the uncomfortable, awkward feelings for them didn't stop on Easter Sunday. Because what they are confronted with in the tomb makes them feel uncomfortable as well. It's not as though they walk into the grave and, and they hear the news and they, they join in a chorus. It's beginning to look a lot like Easter. That's not what went on in their life on Easter Sunday. What they find in the tune makes them feel awkward and uncomfortable. And it probably made them rehearse the events of Good Friday. And they thought, what next? How could this story get any worse? He's not even in his coffin. And if the pictures of Easter came up on their memories on Instagram, they would have gotten a sick feeling even after they knew the end of the story a year later. You see, these women followed Jesus closely and they ministered to him as he preached the gospel of the kingdom in Galilee. One of the interesting things about the women who followed Jesus and served him, the scriptures say they ministered to him. And the terminology used of these women is only used of angels when it says angels ministered to Jesus. And so these women have followed him and they're close to him. They've served him with compassion and loyalty and kindness. And then they see him crucified. They see his body laying lifeless on the ground. And a group of men pick it up and wrap it up and rush their burial procedures and sort of just throw him in a hole in the ground. And these women say it can't end that way. Not for our friends. And they are determined to give him a proper burial. And that's where we find them on Easter Sunday. Notice verse one, when the Sabbath was passed. Now, Saturday was the Sabbath and this was a commanded day of rest. And and so as Jesus is taken off the cross and he is carried away to the tomb, the the traditional burial procedures were probably rushed and that they weren't able to do everything they needed to do for his body. And they could not do it on Saturday. It was a day of rest. And you were to do nothing, especially anything that had to do with the dead. And so they waited until Sunday. And notice Mary Magdalene. Now, there are a lot of rumors and speculations about Mary Magdalene. A lot of, just to be honest with you, as I read this week, a lot of things people just make up about her. Now, it's probably true she had a sketchy past. But she's only mentioned 12 times and, and we know she was possessed by demons. But she is followed Jesus closely throughout his ministry, someone who is restored by him. And she followed him all the way to the cross and we find that she is the first one to the tomb. And then we see Mary, the mother of James. We talked about this guy earlier in our study in Mark. He's James the less, which really means a little guy. James is a little guy. And his mom is with these women going to the tomb. And then we find Salome, who is married to Zebedee. This would have been James and John's mother, the sons of thunder, who's going to the tomb, along with another woman who's not mentioned here, Joanna, And notice they bring spices. Why would they bring spices? Because they are expecting to see and find a dead body. And what happens to dead bodies when they begin to deteriorate? They begin to smell. And they they expect it to walk into the tomb and be sick, nauseous with the smell of a dead body. And so they bring spices to anoint him to keep the smell down. And notice it says they went very early. On the first day of the week. Laying in bed at night. They probably did not sleep. It was probably one of those nights. Where you're thinking about what I have to do the next day. And your mind is racing. And and your heart is racing. And you cannot go to sleep that night. Because they are thinking we have to get up and go to the tomb. And take care of our friend's body. What a task ahead of them. And as soon as there's any moment of daylight they all get up and they begin to rush to the tomb notice the first day of the week this is sunday this is why the church meets on the lord's day when the sun had risen and john says it was still dark there's glimmers of light coming through they went to the tomb now the tomb would have been like a cave in the ground and this would have been the tomb we know that was donated by a very rich man. And it was probably in a very beautiful garden. And they are running to get there to care for their friend. But the point here is they expect a dead body. They don't expect Easter Sunday. They, they weren't listening to, to Dolly. He's alive on the way to the tomb, which is the greatest Easter song ever sung by anybody. The Queen of Tennessee and the gospel of Jesus Christ, you should listen to it today. But they didn't wake up on Easter Monday, Easter Sunday morning and say, i got to get to that song. No, verse 3, they were saying to one another, who will roll away this? Notice what they expect. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Now, across the front of this cave would have been a massive boulder that had been cut out just for the entrance of this tomb. And it would have been placed on there and it would have been sealed by the Roman government. And we know that on Saturday, the religious leaders went to Rome and said, it's not enough just to seal. Oh, interesting. It's not a, it's not enough just to seal the tomb. We got to have guards there. And so they had coaxed the Roman government to have the tomb guarded because they believed the followers of Jesus were going to steal the body. Notice verse 4. And looking up, they saw this stone had been rolled back. The stone that had been sealed, the stone that had been guarded, had been rolled back. And again, Mark emphasizes it was very. He met in our mind. How are we going to do this? What are we going to do? And isn't it interesting that they they really didn't have a plan for it? We just got to get to Jesus and we got to take care of him, take care of his body. And they're probably talking about how in the world is this going to happen? They're looking around at the caves. They're looking around at the tombs and they notice the one that's the one. Whoa. They probably saw dust settling in the sunlight. Something has happened there. And as they got closer, they see that this stone has been moved. Now, Matthew tells us at night there was an earthquake and an angel came down and moved the stone. And the guards who were there, they were so scared that they were knocked out in fear. And now they have fled the scene. Notice verse 5. And entering the tomb, as they made their way to the cave, to the tomb, ducking their heads to to go in, probably bracing, what are we about to see? What is this going to look like? Are we going to find anything? Notice they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. Now the other writers tell us that this, this was an angel and he was ablazed in light. And it was shocking. It was like lightning before their eyes. And here is a messenger from the throne room of God who is before them with a cosmic announcement. And notice their response. They are alarmed. Literally, they are terrified. They are panicked. They are in shock. They didn't expect this. Standing there with their spices. Probably dropped them. Broke them on the ground. Oh my word! Alarmed. Arrested. And notice he speaks, do not be alarmed. His voice probably thundered in this cave. Do not be alarmed. Isn't it interesting the Bible does that to us? Things that should absolutely terrify us. Things that press us into the earth to hide in fear. God says, don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid. It it's, doesn't make sense right here. You are a blazing, wraith like creature from the throne room of God. Blazing in light we can't even see in front of us. And you say, don't be scared. Why would we not be scared in this moment? Why would we not be shaken in this moment? Here, I'll tell you why. Notice verse 6. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. Here, Mark emphasizes Jesus was a real person and he was from Nazareth. Nazareth had culture. Nazareth had its own music. Nazareth had its own way of doing things. And Jesus was from a place. Jesus was a real person. Ten fingers, ten toes, a nose, a mouth, ears, eyelashes, a beard. Jesus was a real person, and that is the that is the Jesus you are looking for. This real person. But notice he emphasizes here who was crucified. He was crucified. And we talked about what that meant last week. Nailed to a cross to suffocate. Where you can't catch your breath. And yet over and over you're straining to catch your breath until you run out of the strength to do it and you just give up. When Jesus gave up, He said, it is finished. The price has been paid. Notice this Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified this way. You saw it. Notice this is the most shocking part. He has risen. Now, the language here is actually He has been raised. It's passive. And we talked about last week, they crucified Him. The the Roman government crucified Him. The religious leaders crucified Him. And we talked about because of our sin, we are guilty for crucifying Jesus. Our sin nailed Him to the cross. They crucified Him, but here, somebody else raised Him up. We killed Him. But he's been raised. And that's the glorious gospel. Though he was dead, now he is alive. They crucified him, but it is God who that we learn in the scriptures has raised him up. Our sin killed him, but God's grace has raised him up in life. And notice the angel says, see where they laid him. And we know from the other gospel writers that there were two more angels in the tomb. And when the women come in, they go, what are you doing here? You're seeking the living among the dead? You you came in here to find Jesus of Nazareth? You you must think he's dead. Did you not listen to the guy outside the tomb? He ain't here. He's not here. Look where they laid him. And we find out here that this stone was moved by the angel at night not to let Jesus out. Sometimes we think about the Easter story that way. It wasn't to let... Jesus didn't need an angel to move the stone to get out of the... No, the stone was moved so we would go in and see He ain't there. He's not there. No, Jesus is alive. He is risen. He's not here. And notice what the response is, verse 7. But go tell His disciples. Go tell His followers. That is the response to the Gospel. When you hear and, and you believe there is a resurrection and you've seen evidence... Of resurrection, you go tell. What else would you do? And he says, go tell the followers. Specifically, Peter. Now think about what's going on in Peter's life over the last three days. Remember Peter as Jesus is being crucified? I don't know him. Hold on. You were with him. You were one of those fishermen. I've never met the guy. No, you know him. No, I never knew him. I have no idea what you're talking about. And think about what Friday night, Saturday, Sunday morning has been like for Peter. Just rehearsing. No, he told me I would do that. He told me before the morning, before the rooster crows, I would deny him. And that's exactly what I did. Peter, the brave guy, the one who runs to the front of the battle, and he has denied Christ and he has spent three days thinking through that. And the angel says, make sure you tell Peter. Make sure you tell Peter he's alive. And can you imagine Peter hearing that? Oh, the tomb is empty. And what does Peter do? We, We hear in John that he runs, he sprints to the tomb, the one who betrayed him notice he says he's going before you in Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. And we see for 40 days Jesus reveals himself. He eats meals with people. He takes walks with people. He reveals himself as a resurrected person. You see, the empty tomb isn't evidence of the resurrection. The risen Christ is. And Jesus makes that clear. And he makes it known that he has been raised from the dead. But throughout Mark, We've talked about this as we studied Mark. As Jesus performs signs and wonders, what what does he tell people over and over? Don't tell anybody. He heals the sick and he says, stop, stop talking about it. It's not time for people to know who I am. He, he, he's in the temple. He, he casts out demons. People are people are all tore up about it. And he says, stop talking about it. All the signs and wonders Jesus does, and He says, be quiet. Then He's raised from the dead, and He says, now go tell people. Now go tell everyone that I am a former corpse back from the dead. And and what's going on there? Jesus says, I don't want you to make the decision about who you think I am until you see the sign. The resurrection is the sign. You see, a lot of people will follow abracadabra around if he's doing a lot of abracadabra, magician-like miracles, then wow, that's, that's amazing. A lot of people will follow a great teacher around from village to village, town to town. But he says, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. And so don't make your decision until the resurrection. And once he is back from the dead, he says, go tell everybody. Go tell everybody. But then, then there's tension there because that's not what they do. You see, notice he says, as he told. As he told you. Over and over, Jesus has said, I'm headed to Jerusalem. I will die and be raised. And we, we are to know God and we are to trust God according to what he says and then what he does. And God tells us, I'm the only person you can absolutely trust with full confidence because I always do what I say. In Exodus, he told Moses, I am who I am, which means I do everything I say I do or will do. And here, just as Jesus told you, you're going to see him. And so trust him and go tell everyone. But what do they do? Verse eight, they went out and fled from the tomb. There, there was no prayer time, no worship service, no sunrise service at the tomb. No, they're scared to death. They can't process what they're hearing. They can't make sense of it. They run. Now, notice they went out and fled. That's the same word used when Jesus is being taken to be crucified and the disciples disperse. And so everybody's scared about what's happening. They're they're not embracing it. It's freaking them out. Every day... In this story, there's a new turn for them. He's crucified. How worse could it be? Oh, the body's not there. Oh, now it's a lot worse. This was bad news to them. Because they didn't understand what was going on. And so they are running and they are sprinting. Notice, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. Mark just packs all of those words in. To describe, they are in utter shock. Their minds are paralyzed. They can't process what they're seeing. They can't process what they're hearing. They can't talk about what they've been told to speak about. They are paralyzed and they are in shock. And notice he says, they said nothing to anyone. Isn't that interesting? The miracles you can't shut people up. Oh, have y'all seen the new teacher who's healing all these people, doing all these crazy things? Oh, he's back from the dead. Oh, my gosh, we can't talk about that. That doesn't make any sense. They said nothing. And why? They were afraid. Now, I believe, and we'll talk about this as we continue our study in Mark, that this is the end of Mark. And you'll see that note in some of your Bibles. I believe this is the end. Because I believe this is where Mark wants to leave us. Mark wants to leave us with our own decision. He has stated the fact Jesus has risen from the dead. He is king of the world. He is king of the cosmos. Now make your decision. And Mark has done this throughout that the kingdom coming into the world, it's jarring. When you hear the story of a resurrected man, it, you can't just yawn and just move on. It's going to create dissonance in your life. It's going to, it's going to cause some racket. It's going to make you feel uncomfortable. And you have to, have, it comes to a decision for you. Do I believe that or do I or not? And notice that's been their decision throughout the whole story. This is true. Don't be scared. They're scared. You're going to see him and think about, oh, then I should be. I'm going to see him again. Yes. No, they're scared. And then he says, go tell everyone. And there's silence. And this is where Mark wants to leave us. Mark wants to leave things awkward. He wants to leave a little tension. He just stops. Have you been in the conversation with those people and you can tell they're not listening to me. They just want to tell me what they want to tell me, and then they get through telling you what they want to tell, and they just turn around and walk off. I'm like that sometimes. I apologize. But but they just want to get in what they want to say, and then the conversation's over. That's what Mark does. Listen, I'm going to tell you the truth and then he's going to walk away. That's what he's doing here. He wants things to be awkward. He leaves these women, not in some happily ever after sunny pastel colors of spring. No, they're scared to death. And by the way, Mary, when she got back to the disciples, she told them that the body had been stolen. She didn't get it at that moment. She doesn't get it here. You see, Easter makes things uneasy, right? If we really believe this stuff, it's going to make things uneasy for us. Think about these women when it was their friend who was brutally executed and it was horrible. It was a bad day when it was just their friend who lost his life. I mean, they're thinking about this. I mean, that was their friend. We spent three years with him. And and on Saturday, they're probably going about their business going, man, we were misguided. We, we really love Jesus, but I don't think he was who he said he was. It, this, this story isn't going the way we thought it would, and there were doubts in their hearts. When that's, when that's where the story ends for them, okay, we can figure that out. But now it, it gets even more awkward. He's back from the dead. Whoa, I wasn't expecting that. So now what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to be the band of people who walk around and talk about a once dead friend? It's really now the story gets worse for them. Our our friend was executed. We can make sense of that. But being back from the dead, that that's odd. That's outlandish. And if we really believe this, and if these women believe it here, it's going to cost them everything. And it's going to cost you everything if you really believe this. Because it's a weird story. And, and think about what we've done today. We got dressed up. Came to church on Easter. I mean, we sang. Like sang, sang. Tennessee sang today about the resurrection. I mean, We, we made a big deal about this guy being back from the dead. We've said it's true, and we've sung about it. Imagine if you 've never heard this story before in, in some of you today, you're closing your eyes, your hands raised to somebody you believe was dead and now alive that's mm, that's weird, that's crazy, and if you believe it 's true, it's kind of scary. You see, we think about the cross as being the scary part it's gruesome. It's horrific. It's the most torturous moment in human history. So it's scary. But if this body was not stolen and Jesus is a former corpse, that could be even more scary for you. Because you can't come in here today and, you know, Insta your kids Easter pictures. Go eat the deviled eggs. Grandma's house today. And then set out by the fire pit tonight. Hashtag Easter at Ashland. Hashtag thankful. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag hashtag. Or hashtag nothing's changed. You can't come to church on Easter and say you believe this mess and then not change your life. Because if it's true, it means everything. And it means everything for these women. In this cultural context, women weren't even allowed to witness in courts. And so if they they're leaving going, oh, my gosh, we cannot talk about this to anyone. We've got to keep our mouths closed to speak about it would mean their life. But if it's not true, what they've experienced the last three days is just a it's just senseless horror film. Mark begins his gospel by saying that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and he has set out to prove it in a very direct way. And every time Mark displays the power of Jesus, people get scared. When he casts out demons, people get scared. When he calms the wind and waves, people get scared. When he heals the sick, people get scared. When he teaches, people get scared. Why? The power to save you from sin, hell, and death is scary power. And if somebody has that power, that's going to scare you. Because they're the most powerful person in human history. But for the believer, it's good news. And so I want to ask you today is Easter scary for you? Do you feel that tension? For some of you, it is scary that he is who he said he was, because that means you can't do anything about your sin. Some of you are t- caught in that tension, and you're trying to make up for your past. You're trying to make up for things that you did in high school, in college, in your early 20s. You're trying to make up for that time in your life that you you would say, now I even wasted it. And you're trying to do a lot of good things to make up for that time. And what you're doing is you're trying to take all this good that you could do the rest of your life and cover up all the bad. Oh, you can't do enough good to outweigh your sin. And your sin is not going to be covered up by a plastic Facebook post. It's going to be covered only by the blood of Christ. That's the only way to be forgiven of your sin. And some of, some of us are in here today and, and we want control over our life and death. We think we control death. We take the pills. We exercise. We do a lot of good things to stay healthy that we should do. To, to, to stay alive, but sometimes it creates a facade in our mind that we're actually in control of life and death. And we think we want control over it. I want to determine when I die. I think I can determine when I die. And you can't. And if Jesus is back from the dead, that's good news for people who have no control over death. Because you can look to Him today as a former corpse who has defeated death on your behalf if you would trust Him as the one Who has defeated death for you? Mark begins the gospel by declaring that he is the son of God, meaning he is king. And some of you, as you've seen the evidence throughout Mark, that scares you. Because you want to be king. And I ask people all the time, how's that working out for you? Because I know in my own life when I want it my way and I want to be the center and everybody do what I say, I'm the most miserable when that's the way I live. The gospel frees us up to say, no, Jesus is king and there's great joy in making much of him. But some of you are scared to live that way because you're going to lose control and it's not going to be about you. And you're not always going to get your way and you're going to have to trust him as king. Mark begins the gospel by saying he is the sinless, perfect son of God. And the resurrection proves that he did not die for his sin. He died for the sins of others. So he is raised up because he is righteous. And for some of you, that scares you. Because you want a righteousness in and of yourself. You want to image all the bad things away. You want, to, you want to put a plastic image over who you are. No, only the righteousness of Christ changes who you are before God. A holy and righteous God. And so it scares some of us today that without God, without Christ and the gospel, good girls go to hell. And nice guys go there too. If they do not trust in the cross and they do not believe in a resurrection and they do not hope in Jesus' coming kingdom, and that is credited to them when they believe. But see, for us today, one of the scary things about Easter is that it's the same decision. Think about these women as they leave the tomb. They're thinking, Will we see him again? Will we will we see Jesus again? And they have to wrestle with that. Do they believe what the messenger said? Will they will they see him again? And that's, that's the scary decision for us here today. Do you believe you will see him again? And the answer is yes, just as he told. You will see him again. But the scary part is some of us who do not believe in Jesus, you will see him again. And those feet that were stapled to those pieces of wood on Golgotha, they will stand up to judge you when you see Him again. When you see Him in the new heavens. The the hands that were pierced perfectly just right in a way where His bones and muscles would hold Him to the cross for six hours. You will see those hands. But if you do not believe in Him, they will point to judgment. I never knew you. You'll see him again. Those eyes that were matted with blood in the tomb. You will see those eyes. And Revelation describes those eyes. They will be aflamed with light. Such bright light that it pierces to the depths of your soul. In judgment. If you do not believe in him. We will see him. We will see Him. They will see Him again. And i got good news for you. If today you would believe in Him, you would say, this is true. I'm tired of playing games. This is true. The Spirit convinces you. This is true. You embrace it as your only hope. You You give your life over to the fact that... Jesus died for your sin. Jesus was the substitute for your sin. He was considered sin so that you might be considered the righteousness of God. On the cross, He was punished for everything that would make God angry and wrathful and irritated with you. Jesus endured that judgment for you on the cross. If you believe in a resurrection, that yes, He's raised from the dead. This cosmic, weird I can't process it. This man was dead and now he's alive. That's true. I believe it. It's my only hope. My only hope is I will be placed in my coffin, in a ground vaulted in under the earth. And when he returns, because he was raised from the dead, I will be raised from the dead. You would put your hope in him to raise you from the dead in the same way he was raised. His righteous life. He lived a life you could never live. Some of you are worn out trying to be good. You're worn out because you can't. Only Jesus is good. Trust in His righteousness. Trust in His life. Hope in His kingdom. And I've got good news for you. They will see Him again and you will see Him. And those feet that were pierced will stand to welcome you home. Those hands that were pierced. All the pain, all the suffering, all the heartache that have caused you tears in this life, those nail-pierced hands will reach up and wipe them away. I've got good news. If you believe in Him, you will see Him. You will see Him. And those eyes matted with blood, they will be bleeding. Beaming with light and delight in you. If you would believe this is true. It's scary. It's scary because it demands everything from you. But if you believe it's true, you will see him. And if you believe it's true, everything that's ever made you awkward, cringe, and even fearful and sad will be made untrue.